Now, resistance doesn't work very well in most cases. We assume it will, which is one of our challenges as humans. Oh, well, next time I feel like saying that, I'm just going to say the other stuff instead. I'll just make sure in that moment that I do that better next time. That's an intention. It is not a plan. Hi, and you just entered the Leadership Gym. I'm Randy Hall. I'm an executive coach and leadership consultant. And this is the place where we work on our ability to lead our team, lead our business, and yes, lead ourselves. If you are looking to improve your capabilities as a leader, you are in the right spot. Hey, and thanks for joining us today. I'm glad you are here. We love the fact that we get to have this conversation to talk about leadership in ways that maybe aren't all that available these days and to break it down into concepts and processes and tools that you can use to get better at leadership. That's our whole goal is to help people do that. You can go to leadershipgym.com and learn more about how you can join the Leadership Gym and Every week, use the tools there to get better at leadership. Today on this episode, what we're going to talk about is really the process of planning to become a more effective leader, not just hoping you do or assuming that you've been through enough stuff that you will figure it out because of your experience or because of the ideas you have or the things that you've done already or the stuff you know. But actually, in, instead of just hoping that happens, planning to lead more effectively. We're going to give you some questions that you can use on a weekly basis or maybe even more often. You could use them on a daily basis, but use them to guide some decisions, some choices, some plans that you make as a leader so that you get the set of results that you intend to. And that's our big challenge as leaders. There are things that we will do as a leader in a role affecting other people, having impact on them, that will create a set of outcomes. And some days, some moments, sometimes, those things that we do are driven by what we've decided to be right in that situation, what we've planned ahead of time to do in order to lead more effectively, what we've analyzed, thought about, and created habits around that cause us to get a certain set of results in a team, from a team, from a business. And so we either do that, we either do that set of things, or we might do, in some cases, what feels best in the moment, in which case we're relying on our impulses. We are relying on whatever our gut tells us. We're sometimes relying on our level of ability to focus right then, our energy level, our ability to to make good choices in that situation rather than do impulsive human-like things that we just feel like doing in the moment. So one of the examples that I've seen a lot of times when I work with managers is they'll come out of a conversation with someone where they had a chance to coach, to affect them positively, to cause them to go do something in a, in a more motivated way. And yet, what actually happened in the conversation was something different. It might have been a discussion that disengaged them, that caused them to maybe break down some of the trust 
that they had for this person, for this leader, for that individual in that discussion because we said something that was impulsive or that was based on our need to say it rather than what they really needed to hear to be at their best or the way we needed to structure a conversation with them that would help them be at their best. And so these two things compete a little bit. Our impulse, the thing we kind of want to do in that moment, versus our leadership plan, the things that we have analyzed and decided are the best things to do in those kinds of cases. The stuff we would, you know, maybe instruct someone else to do if we were helping them become a more effective leader. And this is a constant battle for leaders. And so as we go through this process and these questions for planning, it's an opportunity for us to think about a more systematic approach to effective leadership rather than hoping we get it right in the moment when there's an awful lot of competing things in the way. I'm going to start this conversation or go a little deeper into it with a story that happened to me several years ago about a person that I came to understand a little bit more about and how she planned for what she knew would be challenges. And it started when I came home uh, one day after work and my kids were all sort of gathered around. This was several years ago. And they had gotten home from school and the TV was on and I came home from work and some sort of what I would refer to as junk in my, you know, very dad-like way. What kind of junk do you have on the TV? And they were watching some shows often when I would come home that I didn't necessarily find all that redeeming or important or useful. Uh, one of the ones they used to watch was Say Yes to the Dress. Uh, I <laughs> watched it for five minutes one day and said, how can you do this? How can you spend your life on this? Which was, again, a very dad-like thing to do. I told them, just say no to the show uh, and turn it off. Watch something else that, that matters more. And one day when I came home, however, they had a show on these Spartan races. And it was on TV and it was demonstrating, looking at, peering into the life of these people that, that went out and accomplished these incredible athletic feats. And these people were running some of these races that obviously required tons of endurance, tons of mental toughness, tons of physical toughness. And it was really interesting. And I kind of got sucked in. I, I sat my backpack down and I started to watch. I kind of got pulled into the show, which never happened with Say Yes to the Dress. But it did with, with this documentary kind of show on Spartan races. And along the way, they did a couple of human interest stories. They would sort of focus on one competitor and dig a little deeper into their life, let you get to know them in a little more complete way. And one of the people that they did this with was a woman by the name of Misty Diaz. You can find her website at lilmisty.com, and that's L-I-L-M-I-S-T-Y.com. If you want to get to know her better, and you may after I tell this story, you can go there and, and check out Misty and her life and her story. And I've never met her personally. I would love to. Misty, if you're listening to this, uh, reach out. I would love to learn more about you. You're, uh, you're incredibly inspiring. Okay, so they, they were doing this documentary, this human interest piece on Misty Diaz. And when I first started to learn a little bit about Misty Diaz, first of all, I'm amazed at anyone that could 
run one of these Spartan races. Anyone that could do this kind of grueling, it's just never been a strength of mine. My wife runs triathlons, and it's really interesting to see her prepare and try, and she'll come back and say things like, you know, I had a little trouble with the run, or I had a little trouble with the bike. She's always amazing in the swim. That's her, her strength. But I always think to myself, wow, I had a little trouble with the signing up, so I feel pretty good about what you accomplished today. And my job's just to show up and cheer her on because she's amazing when she does these things. And also when she trains for them, which is the the time when nobody's cheering, right? And that you're just out there in the morning running or in the morning swimming or in on a weekend going for a long bike ride. So I look at these things and I think, how does anyone do this? And then I meet Misty Diaz, who sometimes in a five-hour race or what's typically a five or six-hour race, it will take her 17 hours. 17 hours. See, what you learn about Misty as you get to know her and as I got to know her is that she suffers from a condition called spina bifida. She's incredibly short for her age. She's in her 30s. She is obviously severely hampered physically in the way that she works. And if you go to the site and you learn about her, you'll understand that she still uses crutches to walk. I started diving into more about this human. I wanted to learn and understand what causes someone to be able to go do this kind of grueling athletic thing when you are one of the least equipped people on the planet to go do that well. I read her blog and some of the posts that I remember there just purely from memory, I remember her talking about when she was little and she used to come home from school and she would hide in the closet after school. My kids were out watching TV after school. She was hiding in the closet after school because no one could make fun of her there. She didn't know what was wrong with her. She had dozens and dozens of different surgeries trying to help her be able to walk. And she can now with the aid of supports and crutches and teammates and things like that as she goes through these kinds of grueling races. And she has run over a hundred different kinds of races from 5Ks to Spartans to marathons, despite the fact that she has every challenge stacked against her from a physical standpoint. She has every weakness associated with someone that would try to do these things. She has every competing issue or or challenge pointed at her when you think about her ability to go do this and someone who would consider it a strength. And yet she's run far more than I, she's run hundreds more than I have because I haven't run any. Despite the fact that physically I could do it far more readily than she could. But her mental toughness is something else. And so I started learning as much as I could about her and diving into her story. And here's what I found. Here's what I found because I can't imagine the amount of conversations in my head that would be something like, Misty, stop this. It hurts too bad. It's too hard. You're too slow. It wouldn't work. Uh, You're not the person that should be doing this. Those are all the things that if I were Misty, I would expect to hear in my head. And when she was writing her blog or one of the interviews that she was giving, she said something along the lines of, I know those things are going to come to me. I know that conversation is going to happen in my head. I know that as I'm out there 30 minutes in, I'm 
I'm going to hear things in my head that say, Misty, you've proven everything to people. You've accomplished more than anyone, including yourself, ever thought you would. Just stop this. Stop doing this. anything this hard. And what was really interesting is she said, I know these thoughts are coming, and so I prepare for them. I have a plan. And the plan goes something like this. When I hear the thought, Misty, just quit. You've proven everything. I execute my planned response. I say, you're right, Misty. I will quit right after this next obstacle. As soon as I get over this next wall, I'm out. That's it. I'm done. As soon as I get to the edge of those woods over there, that's it. I'm finished. I'm through. I don't need this anymore. I don't need to prove anything anymore. And she said something along the lines, and I'm paraphrasing here, I do that for 17 hours. I have that conversation in my head for 17 hours in some cases on these exceptionally long races. Because I know I already have the answer for that question. I already have the retort for that impulse. I already have a plan in place for those challenges when they arise. I don't pretend they won't. I don't assume I'm always going to be at my best and my most mentally strong. I don't pretend that I'm always going to have the right answer or do the right thing or hope that because of my experience or my knowledge or my abilities, I'll make a good choice in that moment. I don't hope. I plan. I simply plan to do that well. I prepare the conversation in my head ahead of time. I use all of my mental faculties, my cognitive abilities, my executive function in my brain to prepare for those moments when my impulses may push me in the wrong direction. That's what I do. And that's what she's essentially saying. And this is what we often teach leaders to do is don't assume that you've been through enough challenges in your life that you're always going to make the right decision in the moment. Simply plan for it ahead of time. And this includes moments when we might be impulsive or self-centered or say the wrong thing or purposely be passive aggressive or any of those things that we could do that will absolutely get in the way of our ability to lead others where we focus on our own frustrations instead of what that team member or that team needs in the moment and so we want to give you a process because the only thing that we can do if we have an impulse that is pointed in a direction that will not get us to our definition of success, when we have these impulses, and we will if we're human, if you're not human, you can stop listening now. But if you are, you're going to have impulses sometimes that feel like the thing you want to say or do and don't necessarily drive improved performance, higher levels of success for your team. And so you have two tools to do something different. One is planning. I've prepared that when I feel like this in this situation, I'm going to act this way and I've already practiced it and built a process for myself. I've already thought about it in depth and I know what's going to happen when I get to this space. You either have that or you have resistance, which means that you hope that you will have enough willpower in the moment to control that conversation in a way that gets you the results that you want to have as a leader gets that person the results that they need to go do something more successful tomorrow. Now, resistance doesn't work very well 
in most cases. We assume it will, which is one of our challenges as humans. Oh, well, next time I feel like saying that, I'm just going to say the other stuff instead. I'll just make sure in that moment that I do that better next time. That's an intention. It is not a plan. And what we want to do as leaders is build a plan so that we now have a process. I've used this analogy before and I'll use it again, but it's kind of like a fire escape. If you've built one and practiced it with your family and know that if the building's on fire or even with your work team back when we used to be in buildings, but now with your family and say, hey, if our house is ever on fire, if the fire's over here, here's what we're going to do. If the fire's over here, here's what we're going to do. Here's where we're going to meet afterwards. If you've done that ahead of time, you will have a pretty good chance of executing it even in the incredible chaos of a fire. If you have not planned it ahead of time, your ability as a human to figure out what the right thing to do is in that moment, in the midst of all that stress and chaos and craziness in your brain, all the survival instincts that flow in that create uh, situations where you can't even access your thinking brain, you're only accessing your reactive brain, the chances of you executing it then are slim and none. So what we want to do is not leave our leadership to chance. We want to have a plan in place that helps us lead well despite our impulses. So what we've done is put together a couple of questions for you to use. And these questions may also inspire other questions for you. That's awesome. That's what insight does. That's how it happens. Sometimes words that people say inspire thoughts in your head that cause you to make a different choice, take a different path, double down on your effort in some area. That's great. But we've put together some questions that help you think about how you want to plan your leadership this week. And then your next step is to say, hey, what are the things that I could do in order to execute what I learn by asking myself these questions, the insights that I have by thinking through this planning process? So the first question is, what does my team need from me this week? You'll hear us use this question a lot here on the podcast and in other places because it takes us and positions us in their mind, in their world, in their set of challenges and away from ours. Because all of our impulses live in our challenges, our world, our way of looking at things. And so we use questions to reposition our thinking in a way that helps us become more effective. If I say, what do I need this week from my team? I get a very different set of answers. And that will cause me in some cases to go down the wrong path in terms of how I lead. But if I say, what does my team need from me this week? It frames my thinking in a way that helps me get to better answers. And that's what planning does. We can write for 10 minutes if we want on what does my team need from me this week? What could I do to support them? What are some of the things that I think that, that might be valuable for them if I were to do them? So that's the first question. What does my team need from me this week? Second question, what do I want to learn more about this week or become better at? This again positions our brain in a learning space. So it causes us to consider possibilities and opportunities for learning and improvement. Every leader I've ever worked with or ever even met who is exceptional thinks about how they can get better constantly. But we don't just want to hope that we think about how we can get better. We want to have a plan in place that causes us to think about how we get better because of the questions we prepared to ask ourselves ahead of time. Question number three, 
What questions do I want to use to cause my team to think this week? This pushes us down the path of using questions as a leadership tool, which oftentimes we don't. Our impulses are to use our statements, our instructions, our directions, our experience, our input to them rather than our questions of them as a leadership tool. And that's not the right thing to do in many cases because we want them to think, have their own insights, learn from their own thoughts, and they connect to their own solutions for what they do next better than they do ours. We're helping them build capability because we're causing them to think, not causing them to comply with our thoughts or react to our thoughts, but think their own thoughts, which is how people get better and which is how people make choices that might lead them in a new and more effective direction. Question number four, what one thing, if I did it more effectively or more consistently this week, would make us better? Opens up the door again for new ways that I can have impact on my team or ways that I could be more consistent with the things that I do that I believe have impact on my team. Again, moves us to an outward kind of perspective, moves us to a team-oriented approach, moves us to our best selves as we think about our abilities as a leader. And the fifth question, does my calendar this week reflect my priorities this week? If not, what changes can I still make? So this one's interesting because when I talk to leaders and learn about their intentions, what kind of leader do you want to be? What kind of things do you want to do for your team? How do you want to support them? How do you want your team to think about you when we work through that process? What I often find are a set of really, really good intentions. And then I can pull leaders' calendars up Lots of days I can pull my own up too and see that, wow, I'm not focused on those things that I thought were most important, most beneficial, most effective as a leader. I'm focused on other things because they're on my calendar. And if they're on my calendar, they will demand my attention rather than me consciously choosing where to put my attention. And so I want to make sure that I've got some of those things not just intended, but scheduled. And that's why we use the questions even in this order. If I want to do something more effectively or more consistently, but it's not scheduled, my chances of executing that are, again, slim and none. It doesn't happen that way because the things that are on my calendar now compete with my attention for the things that aren't, but that I've just decided are really, really important to me. So use these five questions as you plan your week. Make sure that you schedule a time to use them and see what you write down. See what you come across. See what you discover. See what kind of plans you make for the moments when you know you're gonna battle your impulses throughout the week or your plans throughout the week. Use this time when you're in your best thinking space to figure out how to be in your best active space, your best action space, your best execution space when the time comes. Be more like Misty Diaz. Know that challenges are going to show up. Be ready for them. Plan the conversation ahead of time. Plan the outcomes and the things you do to get those outcomes ahead of time. And then simply just execute sometimes for 17 hours if you have to. 
was amazing to learn a little bit more about her. It's amazing for us as leaders to start to take leadership and turn it into a process rather than just a thing that feels right in the moment and to get better at it. And hey, if you're not a member of the Leadership Gym, go to leadershipgym.com. You'll find information like this, tools like this, resources like this. You'll find leadership workouts. That's what we call them there every week. Leadership's not something you learn a week a year or at a conference or at one big meeting. That may help. It's something you do every week. It's something you get better at every week. Spend an hour a week on becoming a better leader and watch what happens to you, your team, your career, your future over time. And if you have managers or other leaders that you are responsible for, that you are supporting and developing, use the Leadership Gym as a tool to help them think differently about how good they could be and what that path to that level of greatness looks like. That's what it's there for. Those tools are available for you. We hope you use them and we hope you go make a difference. Mm -hmm.